You want Philly Philly? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno, the podcast where prominent figures in sports talk about how sport has impacted the journey of their lives. Philly special. Ready? Welcome everybody to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno, episode 16. Today's guest is the owner of Big Air Academy for football quarterbacks, as well as in the Oak Park Football Hall of Fame, and as well as the first ever starting quarterback for the Winnipeg Rifles, Aaron Giesbrecht. Coach Giesbrecht, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me on. So, Coach, you got Big Air Academy. It's your, your project right now that has been carrying you through with football, and COVID has hit all of us here in the football community. So how have you been dealing with, with running your camps and programs in the midst of, of the pandemic? You know, it, it, it kind of took us to a halt in the beginning because we had, um, we had a winter program going on when COVID hit. We had three more weeks left to go of that camp. So we can obviously had to, you know, stop it and kind of postpone and kind of wait to see what was going to happen. Ended up, you know, obviously how, how things turned out it was quite a while before we were able to get back on the field um so this summer we just ran kind of really small group sessions tried to split up our group of athletes we had workouts in the north end of the city at kp we had workouts at a park um and and again just tried to keep the group smaller and um you know allow those players that were at our camp to continue to grow with us and continue to work with us and to essentially get their money's worth because that's kind of what I felt bad about was that, you know, obviously it wasn't my fault that COVID hit or whatnot, but, um, you know, I felt bad that these people had paid money, good money to, uh, to come to our camp and to get the, to get the work in. And then they were kind of cut short. So this summer I made sure to, uh, to repay those people. And, you know, like I said, like we had multiple workouts all over the city. We just tried to grind as much as we could and, uh, you know, follow, protocol and procedures that are in place by the government and football Manitoba. So talk about how big air Academy came to be. What was the idea that you had for its inception and, and what made it all to come together when, when you finally brought it into existence? You know, I, um, when I was finished playing, um, well, actually privy to that. I, um, when I was still playing, there was a quarterback that was at Oak park, it was a high school I went to and uh, he was a family friend and he just asked basically to work out with me. And I think it was my last year of rifles or maybe my second last year. Um, and so we worked out together in the summertime and uh, you know, as I was working out with him, I kind of taught him the basics of passing mechanics and, and basically just whatever I knew at that time that I thought was important for him. And uh, you know, I was able to kind of do that and it was, it was fun and made the workouts more fun. It, it kept me accountable. So it kind of started like that. And then um, when I was done playing, me and my best friend, uh, Jason Hucklack, who was a, a teammate of mine, we grew up playing together. Um, we both kind of felt like the province at that time, it was so, everything was so run heavy um, that we felt like the pass game needed to be improved. The quarterback play, the receiver play, it was just kind of an idea. We were like, you know, maybe there's some way we can, help improve the passing game and move the game forward because just like I said at that time it was so run heavy um so it was just kind of an idea like that and then I guess over the years of all the different programs that I've coached at uh, I tried to you know get additional workouts with my quarterbacks 
And, and I kind of did that for a while and, you know, would always kind of do things in the summertime with those guys and whatnot, but it was always connected to whatever team I was involved in. And then I believe it was 2015, the winter of 2015 or 2016, uh, JC Boyce, who's a quarterback coach, um, out in BC, but he's an American guy. He, uh, he came to Winnipeg to run a camp and I can't remember who put us in touch together, but somebody put us in touch. I kind of helped him fill this camp, get a few more quarterbacks in. And I went and I, I observed the camp. I, you know, was there for two nights and I watched what he did and, and whatnot. And I just kind of felt like, like it was a, he, he did a very good job. He was awesome. You know, he was, he was great with me, uh, you know, came to me and, you know, talked about different coaching pointers and whatnot, like phenomenal. Um, but I walked away from there thinking to myself, like, why can't I do this? You know, like what, what's he doing that I can't do? So, once that kind of happened, then I started to kind of move forward with the idea of maybe trying to run like a pilot project and just get as many quarterbacks as I could. And at the time I was going back to coach at Oak Park. I was, uh, I was coaching JV at Oak Park at that time. And, uh, Stu Nixon, the head coach, you know, he, he basically said to me, Hey, I've got this gym time available in the winter. Do you want to do anything with your guys? And then it kind of spiraled into, you know, trying to run a little pilot project. I think it was eight weeks. Um, I think I had about six or seven quarterbacks, and I basically just kind of went through the motions of how I would run a camp, you know, similarly to how we run our camps now. And um, so I kind of went through that process, and it was, you know, we were in Oak Park Gym, and we didn't have any of the equipment or anything like that. We were just kind of roughing it out, doing the best I could. And, uh, yeah, it you know, after I did that, I was like, okay, I'm think I'm ready to go. Like I had a good idea of, you know, how I wanted to unfold it and how I wanted the workouts to be. So that next winter I, you know, went and started my business and uh, started off with just training quarterbacks. And that was kind of the intention in the beginning it was kind of going to be like pure quarterback centric. And uh, the problem with that is that when you run multiple workouts after a while, it gets stale, throw into the the same guys were thrown to each other. Right. So I, uh, I was fortunate that I was on the rifle staff at that time. I was able to get some rifle receivers to come out to our practice and just catch balls for us. And then, so after that happened, I would kind of try and bring those guys in once in a while, just again, to try and keep things fresh and throw to live bodies and make it better for the quarterbacks. And then the following winter, you know, we kind of took the next step. And I felt like, why don't we just make it a passing camp? And, and that was probably our biggest camp to date. We had, uh, that was the winter of 2018. I believe we had about 40 athletes and uh, we had quarterbacks, receivers, defensive backs. Um, so that was, you know, that was a big step. That was, you know, we went from basically having 10, I think we had 12 guys our first year, just the quarterbacks to 40 athletes, way more coaches, way more moving parts. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the second step. And then we've kind of just kind of stuck with that, that format. Um, I'll be honest, it's unfortunate. There's not a lot of guys that, uh, you know, that want to train to be defensive backs. So we've kind of, you know, took a step back and now we're just quarterbacks, receivers, and also running backs. We've included a running back group as well, but they train kind of hybrid train with the receivers. So that's kind of been the whole process over the last four years. Yeah, this is the fourth year we're in we're in business and uh, you know, we just keep growing as, as we go and keep improving every day. So you've had this for a few years now and it was an inception that you had with 
because you believed with, with Coach Hockluck that there needed to be better passing in Winnipeg. When you were first playing football, I guess when you were first playing football at a high school, were there a lot of good quarterbacks in Winnipeg or guys that came through the Winnipeg system that ended up going other places to universities? Or did you find that there was a very short list of players that were really good at quarterback? What was it about that position in Winnipeg in the time that you felt was lacking? Yeah, I'd say that there, there weren't many, there weren't many of us that went on to play university or junior, but there was always good athletes and good players um, that played the position. But um, again, it was kind of a little bit more, you know, run orientated where your quarterback was more of a runner than a passer. Um, I'm not really too sure why that was the case at that time. Um, most offenses, at least the teams that were kind of competing for the championship at that time, all ran kind of like power eye offenses, like heavy sets, uh, three guys in the backfield. Um, I would say that at that time when I was in grade 11 and 12, so it would have been 1998, 1999, that I would have been one of the better quarterbacks at that time. And I know in grade 11, we were, you know, we were, we were very good that year. Um, I think I threw the ball eight times a game. So that's just how it was. You know, it was, it, it was very few and far between. So you really had to kind of make your most of it. But yeah, I, I really don't know the answer to, to why it was like that at that time. Um, growing up and playing quarterback, there weren't a lot of opportunities here locally to, you know, go to training like Big Air Academy or, or other, you know, businesses that are around now. Um, that didn't really exist at that time. You had to kind of, you know, go out of province or, or to the States basically to go to camps. So, you know, that was kind of the landscape at the time. And so with how things have evolved now and the work that you guys have been doing over the last few years, have you seen a steady improvement in the level of play at quarterback for kids from Winnipeg? Or do you find that there's still a limited number of guys that are, are really true, like good, true passers that come from the city? You know what? I, I'd say it's definitely improved a lot. Like the, it, it's, it's improved a lot. It's um, there's way more guys that are, you know, able to throw the ball down the field that have the skills necessary. Um, and, and that I think is due to more kids playing football. I think that is due to uh, flag football and touch football and all those things, more opportunities for quarterbacks to throw and whatnot. Um, I would say that, you know, at our camps, we're, we're working with guys every day and we're, we're seeing the development grow. I, I've had a few guys that have been with me for three or four years now and uh, the development in those guys is tremendous. Um, but I would never say that, you know, Big Air Academy, you know, is the reason for improved quarterback play. You know, the, I, I think the kids in this province, they play at, at good programs uh, for the most part. You know, I think that coaches are, are pretty good. They're doing a pretty good job. And we really try to kind of take an approach where we work with those coaches. Try, I, I specifically reach out to, you know, the, the coaches of the kids that I work with, uh, the quarterbacks, and, uh, you know, ask for feedback, ask for, you know, what they think may, their player may need, that kind of thing, to try and have a working relationship with those guys. Um, I think when it really comes down to it, uh, that there's three or four really solid passers right now that I can think of that are kind of in that, you know, coming out the next year or so. Um, and they're kind of the elite of the elite uh, in my mind. Um, but there's a lot of other guys that are kind of grinders. We, we typically at our camp get a lot of guys that are from kind of the outskirts of town um, that play rural football or, 
you know, they're, they're not necessarily going to the St. Paul's Oak Park, Vincent Massey schools, right? So um, I, I believe that we're having a, a great impact in those players and we're helping them improve and helping their programs improve. And I think having that working relationship you mentioned is a very important thing as a coach of, of a camp for football players because the difficult limitations I'm sure that you've experienced with being a part of a high school football program is many of the staff are usually teacher. Like there's usually some teachers in the staff and a lot of people are volunteers, right? Who have full-time jobs. The same as with the other coaches I've talked with who have been with university coach, coach Mitchell and coach Pierre from the Bisons is that unless you are a faculty staff member or an employee, you're a volunteer and you're donating your time to work with these kids and work with these players. And it's really hard to continue to develop position specific players during the off season in high school or for kids playing, um, bantam before they get to high school because many of the coaches that they have are all parent volunteers or if they're in high school they're just a teacher or one teacher's linked to the team and then they have a bunch of alumni or volunteer staff i know when i was at st paul's the alumni was the biggest part of why the program is so strong and why it's continued to get stronger is because of that giving back so in your experience you you're an oak park guy yourself and have and are now on the coaching staff for oak park what is the thing about high school football that you've seen really to make it take off in the last 10, 15 years, and especially since you played? Um, I, I really think that when they kind of separated the divisions, you know, I don't know what, you know, how far back that dates to when, when that kind of change made, but, you know, going back to my day when I played, it was, uh, there was a city conference and the suburban conference. Um, when, when the, when the league started to change and they started to kind of, develop, you know, um, a tier system for the leagues, I think, or for the teams. Um, I think that, uh, you know, it def definitely helped teams that maybe in the past were kind of, you know, taking their lumps a little bit too much. It allowed them to have some success and grow their programs and compete against teams that were, you know, of the same caliber. And I think over time that has really helped the, f the football province. Um, you know, I think the provincial team, um, all the things that are going on, all the different, you know, all the different camps that are available. Uh, there's just so much more resources today than there was then. And, um, and then I think that there's more coaches that were, you know, former players and whatnot. I, I just go back to thinking of, you know, growing up and playing and, and I had some coaches that, you know, were, like you said, they were fathers or, or whatnot. And, uh, they weren't necessarily football guys. They were out there coaching because we needed to coach. You know, and uh, now at the high school level, you know, uh, we've got a lot more, you know, former players and and a lot more guys that are, you know, into coaching for a long term approach. And I think that that all those things kind of contribute to the growth of the game. I've had this conversation with a few coaches before about this evolution of football in Manitoba and especially in Winnipeg, that in the time of the late 80s, and the nineties that, you know, high school football wasn't that big of a thing. And I think maybe part of it is from what you mentioned with, you know, just city and suburban conference and now having single double and triple a. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what was it that really made playing midget football more desirable at the time in comparison to high school? And, and what has been, do you think the reason for the transition to why high school is so much more sought after now and university in comparison to when guys were playing junior or playing major or major football back then? You know, I think at the time when, when the midget league was strong, I think it was just because that was kind of what the norm was. There wasn't many high school teams 
I think Coach Mitchell alluded to that before that you know there wasn't there wasn't as many teams. There just it just wasn't as common. Um, you know, myself, I played high school football. I went from playing community football to high school football, and uh, I could have played midget football instead. Um, but you know, at that time, that I feel like kind of the years where I was coming through high school, like I said, the late '90s. That's kind of when the transition was happening, and more there was just more football, more schools that were playing football. Um, so yeah, I think I think that the desirable level maybe of you know back in the past was just that you know that was where the better players had played traditionally, and um, you know that maybe I would think that you know being able to play you know let's say you played for the Fort Gary Lions and you grew up your whole life playing for with the same group of guys all the way through you stuck it out to you know when I went to high school it was a different group of athletes that I played with compared to when I played community football so maybe that was you know part of it as well but uh, but I think it was just because that's just kind of how it was the, the the premier players the premier teams were in that in that division in that league at that time so yeah it's it's it really sounds like you know it makes sense if you're going to stick stick it through playing with the same group of guys and you see it in a lot of really strong teams that have played different high school sports in Winnipeg. A lot of the success is is attributed to the fact that guys are playing together for many years and they're going to do whatever it takes to stay together. And, and I think we see a lot of that success, for example, in Saskatchewan, right? Like, you know, when we were both a part of the rifles, you could see the Hilltops, like we were pretty good. We were a good team. We were, we were together in 2017, but the Hilltops have, so much resilience and strength from having that same group of guys, same system over and over and over and again, years and years and years that follow and they're doing the same formula and it's super successful. So talk about the scope of, of your first playing days. Once you were done high school football, you were at the university of Manitoba for the first year or two, and then transitions to the rifles and the Colts. Take us through what the first year of playing football out of high school is like being with U of M Bisons, especially at a time when they were seemingly one of the biggest powerhouses in the league. Yeah, we were on the rise at that point in, in 2000. That was the year that I, like I said, I graduated. I graduated in the, uh, you know, the summer, the end of June of 2000 and started at the U of M the following fall. And, uh, you know, that was it. Back then, there was there was an ability that um, you you could practice with the team before essentially being on the roster. I hadn't even I hadn't even signed with the Bisons um, that winter, and I was able to go practice with the team. I can't remember how many workouts we had and, and whatnot, but it was it was different than what the what the university was allowed to do. So, you know, it was kind of eye opening that winter when I went in, and there was just like first of all, I was you know at that point I was seventeen years old. And I walked into an atmosphere of men, like everybody was a man. Um, we were like, there was a few boys there and then there was the rest of everybody was a man. Everybody was like, I would say probably, I don't know what the average age on that team was at that time, but probably more like 23 or 24. Um, we had a couple guys that were either 30 or approaching 30. I don't even know how that was possible, but uh, it, it was it was eye-opening for for that part of it, but then the ability and the athletes and like the bodies of the athletes. I remember seeing Craig Carr, who ended up playing in the CFL for a little bit, and you know I walk into this workout and you know there's Craig Carr, he's just jacked, and I'm just like, oh my god, like where am I? You know, kind of deal. Like it was it was really like a shocking kind of like, wow, like this is for real now. Like these are real ball players. Um, 
so yeah, so that was kind of, you know, that winter was really eye opening. Um, I had a lot of success early and uh, I was able to, I was a good passer and, and I was able to throw the ball to their very good receivers that they had at, at, the, at the time. And uh, I found it a lot of fun. It's uh, so I didn't really have any aspirations to, you know, be the starter or try and play right away. I, I came in with the idea that I was going to be on the bench for a couple of years and work my way up kind of deal or redshirt the first year. And uh, I didn't, I ended up uh, dressing and I played a couple, I, I didn't play in any games, but I was dressed for a few games as the backup because uh, our starter had got hurt and they needed me to be essentially, I was the third and I had to dress as the second for a couple of games and, and whatnot. So, that, that first year went by really fast, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely like a shocking, like culture shock from playing high school football to university at that point, especially with how things were with the rules and how you could, you know, like I said, the guys were just so much older than we were. Do you really think in terms of that, the way that the rules have changed since, and Coach Beer and I talked about this on our episode about, you know, people calling it the Bison rule or, or saying that it's because of the Bisons being, overwhelmingly big or good, et cetera. Do you think looking back now in comparison to present day football, that there is a disadvantage to how the rules have changed? Or do you think that the rules have changed for the better with the age limit in university to being 24 instead of five years of junior, five years of university, and then someone like in their thirties with a family going to play against some 19 year old kid? Yeah, I think overall for the game, it's better that they've changed the rule and that guys aren't able to do that. Um, in terms of like it being the bison rule, I think everybody in Canada West at that point was doing the exact same thing. Um, so it wasn't just the bisons. I just think coach Doby was better at it than everybody else. And, and he really just like was able to get big recruits and, you know, he, like I said, he was just a phenomenal recruiter and, uh, it wasn't that just the bisons did it. I know they kind of got pinpointed as, as this is the bison rule or whatnot, but I just think he just did it better than everybody else. Um, I, I think it's better now, you know, with that rule in place that, you know, guys can come out and they can either go straight to university or play a couple of years. Um, I wish more players explored the option of playing a couple of years of junior. Um, I really feel like unless you're somebody who's going to be on the active roster and dress or be a special teams guy that sitting on the bench for multiple years, you know, when you could be playing football and improving, I, I think that they should be playing junior football. And I'd have to agree, especially with my experience having played junior for almost all the years that I played after high school, with the exception of the one year at UFC was that there was many guys whose careers I saw tarnished or end because of the disappointment that they felt from not getting opportunity in university or from just their, their, their love for football being sucked out of them. Seeing yeah. guys who are talented athletes that could be great junior players just say, you know what, I've, I've had enough. I'm done with football because this was more than enough for me. It's really sad because I'm actually fortunate in the, in the following year after leaving the University of Calgary when I was with the Rifles, when we played against the Calgary Colts, I believe it was in week four, that I played against a few of my old teammates at the University of Calgary. These guys were excellent athletes, and we had, you know, we had a good time talking about our experience together and seeing that we still were able to pursue playing football um, and the one of them didn't pursue football the next year and the other did. And it was, it was enjoyable to be on the field and to see the smiles on our faces from, 
knowing that we were getting in the game, but also still there's a lot of other things on football that can affect a person's experience, of course. And, and it was unfortunate that, you know, it had to be that way for us that we weren't able to, to play at the University of Calgary. But at the same time, we learned a lot of things from there. And I think that we still developed and did get better. But I believe the diffi- like the rate at which you get better is more difficult innately at university if you're not playing than if you're playing junior. Obviously, there's exceptions if you're on a junior program that's really struggling or where if you're like, for example, I know that there's some new teams in Ontario, like where things kind of seem like it's patchwork together in comparison to if you're, you know, on a university program like Calgary, where maybe you're exposed to way better athletes that may take you higher than if you're on a poorly run junior team. But I'd much rather see guys be a part of like the Winnipeg Rifles or be a part of a team in the prairies before going to university rather than, you know, go to university because of, sometimes I don't know if it's, if it's pride or if it's maybe the, the, the desired level of competition, which can make sense, lots of factors. And mm-hmm. you see that University of Manitoba has only so many spots, right, for dressing and playing. So, right. like, so to go to our next question, you know, you, you see lots of guys that end up choosing the route to play university or try to go into university right away and have to take a backseat to older players who play junior in BC and then come here. What is the importance of junior football in Manitoba and how big was it when the rifles first came into existence? Because you were the first ever, you were on the first ever rifles team or the first ever starting quarterback. So what was that feeling like transitioning from, you know, being on the Bisons to now being with guys that were probably more around, you know, your size and age. Yeah. Well, it, it was, you know, I guess I just didn't, know what uh what we were missing at that time you know coming out of high school there was no junior opportunity locally there there was no rifles um the winnipeg hawkeyes i believe uh i believe that they were um they stopped playing in the mid 90s at some point I'm not sure exactly when but there was definitely like a gap in time where there was no junior football um you could play major at the time and i would say the major league at that time was actually really good because there were a lot of guys that were potential junior players that played major at that time. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that, uh, I think that, you know, the, the landscape at that time was just, it was just different, you know, it's hard to kind of put a finger on it, to be honest. So now with, with the fact that there is another level of football added, that there is junior being played like what is or in terms of the way in which junior develops players for university or i mean even for yourself like do you what is the best thing about that developmental step like is it developmental or do you really think that i guess from looking at it at a, at a league-wide stance that it really can help develop players to get to the next level particularly i see it a lot in bc where where guys get that opportunity because they have a good relationship with the lions yeah i i think that um I think the opportunity is, you know, both here in Winnipeg and then like you alluded to in BC, the Prairies and BC and whatnot are the stronger divisions. And there's a lot of players that are developing and then going on to play university. And there's a lot of players that um, in the past would have played, you know, uh, you know, more lengthy careers of junior and then gone on that are now, I, I, I think that this is a trend that it seems like guys are kind of coming out after year two, year three, rather than year four, year five. So I think that they're the level of, you know, just playing the game. It's a very high level of football. You know, when I first got to be on the rifles coaching staff, 
when I was watching some game film, I remember the first comment I made was that this is like high school football on steroids. Like it's, it wasn't, it wasn't really necessarily more complicated or, you know, that much different. It was just better played and cleaner and better athletes and faster and all those kind of things. So I think that it's a better transition for some high school guys to go from playing high school into playing junior. Um, you know, it, it's hard when you're, you know, on a team that maybe isn't successful. So I know for me, like I, I came out and I played, you know, at the university, I felt like my skills improved. And when I went to the rifles, you know, at that in 2002, I, you know, I was very dedicated to being like in the best shape I could be. Um, I was a gym rat at that time. And, and I felt like I went into the rifles very, you know, raring to go. And, you know, my skills were at the top of their game. And as, as time progressed there, um, you kind of asked me before about like, you know, what it was like to be on the rifles at that time. Um, it was fun because a lot of guys that were former Bisons that were kind of the same class of me or the next year, the 2001 class, we all kind of went to the rifles at the same time, more or less. There was, there was a good crew of us that had been together at the Bisons and whatnot. And then a lot of guys also that were just high school players that maybe weren't with us at the Bisons. So, um, you know, it, it was, it was fun, but at the time I, you know, I just looking back, I don't think we had, um, the, the talent level just wasn't, you know, up to par with the rest of the league. And, uh, that made it difficult. And, you know, over that time, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, I definitely struggled to maintain my growth as a player. Like it was, it was, it's rough losing, right? Like it's, it's tough on you mentally. And, uh, you know, you got to really be able to grind through that and you got to really love the game. And I really do, but, but it was hard. I've, I've had this conversation with a few coaches before talking about the, the landscape of football in Manitoba in comparison to other places. Right. And you look at, probably one of the best places for that players come out of in Western Canada being Southern, Southern Alberta. They have tons of talent that comes out of there. Saskatchewan always seems to have a big slate of talented players that come out of there, despite having less of a population than the entire city of Winnipeg. Why, like in terms of, I guess, at least your perspective, where do you see Manitoba as they stand in terms of the talent level of football in comparison, accounting for population size with the rest of Western Canada. And, and if there is a gap, then, then how do you see it closing or what is that gap in comparison to the other provinces? Yeah. You know, I think that's, it's really hard to answer that. I think that we have elite talent in this province that is, you know, comparable to every other province. Um, I don't know necessarily if we have, you know, the amount of players and like you're saying, you know, based on population, you know, obviously I don't know, but, um, you know, it just doesn't seem like, especially with the big body kids, it, it just doesn't seem like there's a plethora of offense and defensive linemen that, you know, coming out every year where, especially when you travel to places and play in Saskatoon and Regina and Alberta, and you just see these big boys and you're like, wow, like these are men, you know, and, the guys we have are, you know, working towards that. And I, I think I experienced a lot of that when, when I played with, when I was in Winnipeg, when I was in BC, I remember I was with the Vancouver on Raiders and seeing the size of the offensive linemen on our team in comparison to some of the other teams was like, wow. Like, you know, some of these guys are, you know, wouldn't compare in size. to when I went to play for the rifles, like our linemen were even bigger and better. And then playing against the Hilltops and the Thunder, those guys were even bigger and better 
as well, which was just crazy to set transition. Obviously, yeah. university is university. I think every team is going to try to have ginormous linemen, right? You got to be good to get right. there. Um, but in terms of your origins of coaching, because you played for a number of teams, and did you get into coaching right away, or what was that first step that you took, and when did you know that you wanted to coach? Yeah, I think going back to when I mentioned about you know coaching the young Oak Park kid when I was still playing, that that kind of um, it kind of ignited a little fire in me, and um, I ended up stepping away from football in 2004. I was a member of the Rifles early in the season. I, uh, you know, anyways, I uh, moved on, and uh, I immediately became a coach. And I was fortunate at that time. My my dad, you know, he coached me growing up, and he stayed kind of in the coaching community. He coached at Oak Park for a number of years, and at that time, when I was at the Rifles, he was helping out coaching. Uh, I think it was the minor Bantam team of the Charles of Broncos. So I basically stopped playing football on a Tuesday and on the Wednesday I became a coach. So uh, that first year, you know, I just kind of did whatever I could and I ran their offense and, you know, I, uh, we, we had a big turnaround. I think the team at the time when I came on staff was one and three. And I think when we went into the playoffs, we, I think we were four and four. So we made, we made a pretty good turnaround and, and, you know, I was obviously just fresh off playing um, the kids at the time. It's pretty cool because a number of those kids I'm still close with today. Uh, one of them just turned 30 the other day. So, you know, that's that's going back, you know. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, and that's because of football. But uh, that first year, you know, just kind of being out there doing my own thing. The, like I said, the kids just kind of gravitated to me. And it was really fun. And, you know, like I said, I was kind of helping my dad and, and whatever. We kind of turned the season around. I think in the playoffs, we ended up playing a top-seeded team. We were kind of at the bottom. I can't remember exactly. But uh, we ended up going to double overtime in the quarterfinals. And I remember I the, the last week of the regular season, I went and I you know, sat up in the, in the stands and I kind of scouted this this community team, which is kind of funny. But uh, – and I remember just kind of watching and there was a few things that I picked up on instantly about, especially with their offense, what they were doing. So I kind of, my dad was the defense coordinator. So I was like, Hey, like, I think when they, you know, when they go to this set, maybe go to this defense or when they do this, do that kind of deal. And, and it was like, I read their whole book, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, when you're coaching at that level, that's, that's really fun because as a coach, you can have a pretty big, a pretty big impact on the game. Um, I think more than as the players get older, you know, uh, you know, listening to your podcast with Coach Mitchell, he talked about it, you know, being the players that really, really make the difference. And that's so true, the higher you go. Um, but I do feel like, you know, coaching young kids football, you know, JV high school football, like the coaches can really have a real impact on that game. So, um, so that was just a lot of fun. So that's kind of how I started. And then after our season was over um, in 2004, Oak Park was, uh, they were on a tear. Andrew Harris was their tailback at the time. They were going into the playoffs. So um, I think I just poked my head in and I practiced one day and uh, Stu Nixon asked me to kind of come on board and maybe I, I think I was sitting up in the booth for the playoffs or, you know, whatever I was doing, something something small. But uh, I kind of just, you know, kind of dipped my hand in there a little bit and went and helped them out that, that uh, playoff run. And then the following season I got on staff with Oak Park and, I kind of been doing, you know, between high school and provincial team and that kind of thing, going back and forth for a number of years. And, and the journey of, of being a coach can sometimes be so interesting because you never know 
when you're going to get there. And obviously there's a lot of guys who I've interacted with who take a break from football or from any sport for that matter, after they're done playing a high level, just to, you know, decompress and really take a breather before getting back into the thick of things, because it can be a lot to deal with, especially when you're a university student or a young guy and you have a lot of things in the go. And then when you get back into it. I think it's a really, it can be a really renewing feeling, especially when you're like a volunteer, because you know that it's not like your job and you're super stressed out you're doing it because you're passionate. Like Coach Mitchell said a lot of these things, right? Like it's not your main source of income. So you can really dive deeply into it, get the nitty gritty details down, really enjoy coaching the kids, being a teacher, having a good impact on them. And you talk about that, that initial impact you had in that community game. And, and I think that, that feeling, that spark inside of you when you're coaching or when you have an impact on someone is such a rewarding feeling that is difficult to explain or to really fathom until you actually experience it. And so as your coaching career has gone on, what is the thing that you've enjoyed the most ever since you first got into coaching? You know, I really think it's just relationship building and, you know, being able to, you know, I, like you mentioned earlier, we were together in 2017 at the rifles, right? So the relationships you build is everything, you know, and the game, the game is kind of, to me, it's, it's a whole separate entity. I'm very, I'm very passionate about the game of football. I'm, you know, to a fault, like it runs my life. Um, football is on my mind 24 seven. I don't stop. Like, so that, that whole part of it, like the, the whole being on the field and, you know, calling the plays and working with the quarterbacks and all that, like, I love every little bit of it. Um, so it'd be hard for me to kind of, you know, tell you one thing, but I think just overall, it's the ability to make relationships with people to be in each other's lives. You know, like I said, like I've got guys now that, you know, 14, 15 years later, I still have a relationship with. So I think that's the most important thing. Um, and, and a lot of those guys, you know, help me coach now at Big Air and, you know, at different stops I've made coaching high school. It's, you know, you're able to kind of bring people together and that's, that's the best part. And in terms of the coaches that you've had in your career when you were a player and now you talk about the relationship building that you have, who would you say was some of the biggest influences that you had who coached you when you were a player or if there was one in particular? Yeah, I've got, I've got a few to be honest. Um, so when I first started playing football, uh, I was nine years old and it was 1991. So the Bombers had just won the Grey Cup the year before. And that's really why I wanted to play football. Um, you know, the Bombers winning the Great Cup was really cool. I remember watching the game with my mom and dad and my aunt. And, you know, we ordered Chinese food that day. I'll never forget it, you know. So um, that was what really sparked the interest. I had grown up playing kind of every sport. Um, and then I was obviously a big kid, so I got into playing football. And uh, the first team I played on, there, I, I grew up in Charleswood, and there wasn't a community club team in Charleston there just wasn't enough kids that were you know looking to play so we had to play in St. James so I sign up and I, I get on this team where the St. James Seahawks this is before there was community club football for the St. James Rods I'm not sure why it was like that but it was different and uh, my first coach was Dan Hucklack who was a former CFL running back for Winnipeg and Hamilton and his two sons Jason who's like I said he's been my best friend for 20 plus years and basically since we stepped on that football field together and his younger brother, Corey, who played in the CFL and won two great cups, former Bison. Um, so not necessarily 
was it the him being my coach um, in the beginning? Because I don't know if I really at that age would recognize his you know, ability to coach. He was a phenomenal football coach, Dan Hucklack. He, uh, unfortunately, he doesn't coach anymore, but uh, he, he was one of the best. And the the thing was that I, through the years, being friends with them, being kind of part of their family on the weekend sometimes, was that I was able to kind of grow up in their house. And it was sort of like having a dad that played professional because I had these two brothers that were like, you know, they knew everything about the game we would throw the ball around all the time. Like it just, it was just, it was an environment that I was kind of just thrust into just kind of naturally of how things unfolded. And I really reaped the benefits of kind of learning the game from him and from the two boys. Um, and then I would say then when I went back to Charleswood, so the next year when I was 10 years old, um, there was enough kids to play for Charleswood. So they moved me back. And a coach that I had at that time, he was a really young guy. His name was John Snively. He, uh, he was my first coach. I think he was like 18 or 19 at the time. And what he did for me was that he introduced me to the X's and O's. He gave me my first playbook. I still have that playbook. Um, I can still visualize the pages. Uh, it stuck with me. Um, <clears throat> growing up, I was very artistic. I would color, paint, draw a lot. And I was pretty talented at it. And when John kind of introduced me to X's and O's and schematics and just football on paper, I converted my talent for art into trying to learn what this was. So I remember like initially kind of like drawing pictures of football players and, and, and helmets and just different things that stuck out to me, jersey numbers, whatever. And then, because I really didn't have any clue about like schematics at that point, I was so young. Um, but that kind of started my real interest for the game. And then on top of that, uh, John, you know, I said earlier, he was, he was pretty young. He, uh, he didn't have a job for the summer and my parents were like, you know, why doesn't, why don't we just get John to kind of be like your summertime babysitter? And I was, I was all for it. Like, I was like, yeah, that'll be awesome. We'll throw the ball around and whatever. And that summer, uh, he brought into my life, the greatest football game ever, Tecmo Super Bowl for the Nintendo. And that opened my eyes to a whole different world, blew my mind. Now I had access to plays and playbooks and NFL teams. I knew nothing about the NFL at that time. So, you know, I can, I can still, again, visualize kind of that first, that first uh, screen that you go into that has all the, all the teams, all the conferences. So, like, I memorized all the teams. Like, I was just all over it. So, like, those two kind of moments were, were pretty pivotal for me because um, – I've never kind of stopped since then. Um, I went on to high school. I had a great coach in Gil Bromwell. He was the head coach at Oak Park for, he, he created the Oak Park Raiders. And I believe he retired after 2003. Um, I think when I played there, I didn't really understand, you know, how good of a coach he was, how good of a man he was. Uh, it took a couple of years, you know, after I probably was at the junior level, you know, just being away from the program for a number of years and then kind of thinking about like just how he was, how he ran the team. And, and it really stuck with me. And I, you know, I still, again, he's somebody that I have, I have a relationship with still to this day. Um, you know, he, he was pretty awesome. And then I think kind of the last person was Jeff Stead when I was at the Bisons. Uh, Jeff Stead was the quarterback coach of the Bisons and, um, you know, working with coach Mitchell. So he would in, in quarterback receiver meetings, 
Coach Stead would install the passing game. And just, again, that was another moment in my life where it was like, okay, I'm learning like something I had no clue about, learning all the different pass concepts, the routes, how we would make adjustments based upon, you know, our formation or based upon the coverage. And again, it just like, it was like mind blowing, but like so exciting to me at the same time. So, um, I, again, I was super lucky because I had like all these different people that kind of, you know, helped me learn the game and helped me kind of gain that passion for it. And it sounds like those coaches had a really big impact. And sometimes it's so funny because it's in the smallest things, right? It's just uh, playing a video game or, you know, being really uh, – be being really keen on drawing and then that translates to looking at the x's and o's and seeing it visually for the first time and it doesn't have to be some great thing i remember on the episode i had with with coach higgins him talking about you know having lou holtz like that's like you know the extreme of the extreme you, you can think of almost a more famous NCAA football head coach ever with the, with a few exceptions of more recent coaches with you know, nick saban or the success that you know some programs have had since but it doesn't even have to be anybody that's like super, super just their IQ is just through the roof of football. Just having that relationship and really learning the basics is such an important thing. And it's, it's so fun to hear about the development and, and the stories of how people came to be with why they started coaching and coach Mitchell talking about that, you know, watching 10 hours of film and then just seeing that one like drag route completed in a game, like, you know, it all started with an idea and it came to fruition. It's so fun. Or like it all started with playing a game on NES and then now all of a sudden like football is just all about your life. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, that, I find that is one of the most exciting things about sport in general, let alone football. And before our time wraps up here, I have had a question actually burning in my mind before we got on today. And mm-hmm. maybe you maybe you, a per, like, you may be a person that could actually answer this wholeheartedly or at least give me some background information. Who is the best quarterback born in Winnipeg to have ever lived at any level, high school, junior, or it doesn't matter how high or low they played. Who is the best Winnipeg born quarterback ever, whether it have been someone that you played with in your life or that you've seen or you know about, who is it? Wow. What a question. Jeez. I'm, to be honest, man, I'm totally drawing a blank. I'm thinking like I've got names running through my head and guys running through my head. I, I can't really think of anybody, you know, before my time that was, was you know, really kind of the top dog. Yeah, Do you names man. you can think of just in your time, even after your time playing? Yeah, well, to, to be honest, I think like Ateo Dizar was, you know, a pretty phenomenal quarterback, you know, and had a lot of success both in high school and at St. Paul's, um, you know, Nathan Friesen was a phenomenal quarterback. He, like you said, he led the rifles to the, the greatest season they've ever had. And then was on the, on the Bison's uh, Vanny cup team as their backup. Um, yes, man, that's, that's a really tough one. I, I, I don't know all the names from before my time. So, you know, I, I know there's probably a few guys that I, that I'm totally blanking out on, but uh, yeah, that's, that's a hard question. And the follow-up question I have to that then, maybe to make things a little easier, that is also one I've, I was discussing with my friends. Who then would you argue is the best Winnipeg-born football player ever, whether it be CFL or NFL? Or, or CFL or NFL, like in terms of like who, because like, some guys haven't transitioned or didn't play in one league or the other. Yeah. I, I, does it have to be Winnipeg? Born in Winnipeg. 
Born a winner. Born a winner. Oh, you made it tough now. Because I was gonna say I was gonna say Izzy with Brandon because I think that's pretty obvious. But um, wow, the best Winnipeg. I guess maybe for Manitoba it would be him, but in terms of Winnipeg specifically. Yeah, yeah, no, Winnipeg specifically. Uh, I think, I think it's got to be Andrew Harris. I think Andrew Harris is probably the most successful Winnipeg-born football player to date. I, I honestly, I was talking about that today with a guy earlier at work, and I, I don't think that we could have come up with any other names. We listed, you know, Nick Dembski or DJ Lalama or other guys who played. You know. You know, yeah. maybe Chris Walby. Chris Walby would be a bigger name. He's a he's a Winnipeg guy. You know, he worked for CBC. Yeah, maybe Chris Walby, but you know, more currently, definitely Andrew Harris. Yeah, I think that that's that fits the bill. I couldn't think of anyone else's. You know, especially in my day, that's that's even better. But mm-hmm. you know. With that, it wraps up our time. Coach Giesbrecht, I really appreciate you having the time today and, and talking about the, the stories that evolved into what is now your coaching career, your passion, your life. Football is such an amazing game. It is the greatest team game. And was there anything else you wanted to say before we, we sign off today? No, just that, you know, you know going back to the, the, the game is – this is the greatest game there is. Like, I'm a firm believer in that. It, like I said before, it runs my life. And, and really the relationships and the ability to just – keep working at it and keep doing it is, is what kind of drives me day to day. Well, with that, I want to thank everyone for listening today to episode 16 with coach Aaron Giesbrecht, who was the first ever starting quarterback in Olympic rifles, offense coordinator Oak park in the Oak park football hall of fame, as well. The owner of big air Academy. Thank you for huddling up. Here we go. Here we go. Tonight. Easy, easy. And the goal. Kill, kill. Moves to the right. It goes directly to Clement. Clement reverses it. Nick Foles. It's a touchdown by Nick Foles. Let's go. Let's go. Everything today. Let's go, B-Jump. Catch him and throw him. Let's go. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Huddle Up. Make sure to follow on social media at Huddle Up Podcast on Instagram and on YouTube at Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Let's make sure to execute this week, and I'll see you next time.